Welcome to Good Faith Reads. I'm your host, Zach Dawes Jr., the managing editor for news and opinion at Good Faith Media. Good Faith Reads is a short podcast released twice a month in which we focus on one of our book authors at Good Faith Media. We've published more than 100 titles under our Nurturing Faith book imprint, and we invite you to check them out at goodfaithmedia.org bookstore. Today's guest is Lynn Brinkley, author of Manners and Money, a Manual on Preaching Etiquette. While she lives in North Carolina, she is joining us remotely today from Las Vegas while on a work trip. Lynn, thanks for carving out time to visit with us and welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Zach. Good morning to you. Could you tell our listeners in one sentence, maybe two, what your book is about? This book is about preaching etiquette, particularly etiquette surrounding pulpit decorum and hospitality towards guest ministers. I I assume that some of this comes from personal experience. So was there one (laughs) experience or maybe a set of experiences that shaped your need or your desire to write this book? Oh, yes. So I was in my doctoral program and I was contemplating my project. And I was saying to myself, I remember clearly saying, what is going to keep you engaged to finish this work? (laughs) I mean, because you get that speech in the beginning, what most uh, doctoral programs, you know, you're going to start with this many people. And at the end, you know, everybody might not finish the race. And that scared me. And I said, hey, I want to finish this race, but I'm, I need a project. I need a thesis, a focus is that that's going to keep my attention. And so <laughs> that was my primary uh, motivation. But then I started thinking, okay, what gift can I give to the church? Um, what is it that the body of Christ could be built better upon? And so, you know, I grew up in the Black church, the Black church experience, and, you know, with all of its, you know, great preaching, celebratory worship, and beautiful spirituals, um, there was a need, I felt, in some churches in regards to etiquette, etiquette as it related to pulpit decorum, dress, hospitality. And so I said, that's it. When I was in my doctoral program, I said, I think I have an interest in that because I've always been fascinated with like Emily Post and matters of etiquette because there's so many issues of etiquette today compared to when Emily Post was talking about it. There's always been airplane etiquette, but there's a new dimension now because you have to wear your mask and, you know, you have to be mindful to love your neighbor, even if you don't want to wear your mask. So, you know, I said, how can I transfer what Emily Post talked about around etiquette to the pulpit? And I said, I think that'll keep my attention. And then when we had conversations about it, with my uh, peers in my doctoral cohort, you know, they were fascinated about it. So I I felt like I was on to something. So you kind of took this general concept. And then as you put the book together, it's structured for those who haven't looked at the table of contents yet into (laughs) three parts, the resurrecting excellence in the pulpit, modeling excellence in the pulpit, and then sharing hospitality in and out of the pulpit. So as you took that general concept of etiquette and applying it to preaching, you know, 
how did you come about structuring it in this way? So, you know, I had to have my theological foundation. And so I said, okay, what scriptures in the Bible sort of relate to hospitality, etiquette? And, you know, the primary text, I would say the foundation of my book was centered around First um, Corinthians 14, 40, you know, where it says, let all things be done decently and in order. And, um, you know, wouldn't that be wonderful if in our churches, all things, I mean, I mean, all things, not just etiquette, but just how we, you know, conduct ourselves with each other and how we extend grace and mercy. Um, but that charge, you know, let all things be done decently and in order. So I started thinking about, you know, how can the ministry of preaching um, be done decently and in order. So I, like you said, I, I divided this book into three parts where with resurrecting excellence, I talked about, you know, how can we resurrect um, doing things in a spirit of excellence um, in our, in our everyday church and ministry life, because we serve an excellent God and an excellent God deserves, you know, our very best. So how can we translate that into ministry? And so when I talked about the first section of, you know, resurrecting excellence, you know, what are some things we can do in terms of pulpit etiquette and decorum? Um, it's, it's interesting. So I surveyed um, a divinity school, a DBIN class, a master of divinity class. I surveyed members of my uh, local church at the time. And it's interesting that one simple thing that, you know, spoke um, profoundly in my research was that when a minister goes into the pulpit to read scripture, people want to see the minister hold up the Bible. It's something about, um, and I, it never really, um, you know, I was trained to do that in divinity school. And I can't say I've always done it because with technology preaching, sometimes you have everything on your iPad or whatever, but people want to see a minister lift up that Bible when they read scripture. Now it doesn't have to be lifted the whole entire sermon, but it's something about that initial reading of text that people overwhelmingly said they want to see. So there you go. So that's the way we can resurrect excellence, just making that little, being mindful of that little simple um, adjustment. And so that's just an example in that section. Um, modeling uh, excellence is also, um, that was another thing people said, you know, they don't like when ministers uh, uh, either talk to, amongst themselves in the pulpit or there's some ministers when they get up without knowing it are dangling their keys in their pockets. <laughs> um, you know, there's so many things um, uh, we can do to better model being. Uh, and when it gets to women, oh my goodness, we, we have it the worst. Um, women are, are always uh, judged on so many levels, but particularly as it relates to dress. Um, you know, I think I did a blog one time to robe or not to robe. I mean, for women, it's just easier sometimes if we wear a robe because it, it takes away all of the conversations about what she's wearing, how long is her dress, is it above the knee, <laughs> What's her, is her jewelry dangling? Um, so those kinds of things play into that. But 
I, I, a great deal of the book focuses on um, hospitality to guest ministers. And as a frequent, um, you know, preacher to certain churches and churches of diverse denominations, you know, I recognize that that issue is, um, you know, more conversation is needed in all contexts. Um, I've been invited to churches where, you know, I think the invitation hasn't been clear or, you know, you get to the church, like, where do I go? <laughs> you know, I haven't been giving clear directions. Some, some, some churches say, you know, pull in the back next to the pastor, or there's this huge vestibule you go through. And it's just a lot of, you know, clear invitations are helpful so that people know, you know, you know, where I'm supposed to go. You know, is there a theme? Is there a reason why I'm in this, um, invited to this? Is it a graduation service? Um, and, and the basic thing is just greeting the guest minister when they come. You know, some people say I go to churches and nobody even says hello to me. So all of this plays into preaching etiquette, um, hospitality, um, loving your neighbor. And, and all of it is, is, is biblical hospitality, that especially the New Testament speaks profoundly on issues of hospitality. And so um, there you go. That's how I frame that um, three-part structure. And I gave you the, the quick version. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back in 30 seconds with more Good Faith Reads. Lot Carey is proud to bring you conversations with some of the best and brightest pastors coast to coast. Our new podcast, Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving, delivers wisdom from the Black church for the whole church. Find us wherever you get your podcasts or listen online at lotcary.org. That's L-O-T-T-C-A-R-E-Y dot org. We look forward to the pilgrimage with you. Welcome back to Good Faith Reads. Today we're joined remotely by Lynn Brinkley, author of the Good Faith Media book, Manners and Money. Again, I'm Zach Dawes Jr. of Good Faith Media, your host for this episode. Lynn, could you tell us about your approach in writing this book? You've shared a little bit about the background, but shifting more from content to kind of the behind the scenes look, did you set weekly goals? Did you give yourself daily word counts? Did you face writer's block? You know, Give our listeners some insight into your process for, for actually completing the writing process. Oh, yes. <laughs> Writer's blog, all of that. Uh, scheduling. So, of course, um, a large, this is primarily my doctoral project. So, in terms of having a lot of the meat done um, before putting this into print was already kind of completed. So, I had you know, the structure of a doctor of ministry program that sort of kept me on task with completing the work. So when actually I, I defended my professor, uh, Matthew Kim said, you know, there's some novelty with this, you should consider having it published. And um, thankfully um, I was working at Campbell University Divinity School with Tony Cartledge, mm -hmm. who's a good friend. And um, so I had a conversation, sat down with Tony and I said, hey, what do you think about this? And is it you know, something that you think I should publish? And Tony was wonderful. Matter of fact, I owe him a great amount of credit for actually editing all of my doctoral work. 
And so by the time it got to Gordon Conwell, they couldn't come behind Tony Cartlidge. He had already ripped it up with a <laughs> red ink beyond measure. And so, um, so then when it, it, I had to shift some things, of course, when it got to the writing phase for good, uh, well, at the time nurturing phase. And so what I did, I did set a timeline because my goal, <laughs> actually the timeline at the time, I think was the CBF uh, North Carolina uh, assembly, I think was in March of that particular year. And so I said, you know, I need to have this ready so that I could be, you know, part of the featured authors uh, there. And so that was my timeline structure. And it kept me pretty disciplined to the task. And again, the, the blessing of having, you know, an editor at your disposal, like Tony Cartledge, to help me get those quick edits done uh, was also helpful. But um, there were certainly times where I couldn't piece it together and that I had struggled and wrestled with. For me, I know for writing or thinking, sermon preparation, there are certainly two key areas where I can, my, my brain juices flow the best. Walking, exercising, if I'm on a treadmill, I'm telling you, I can produce a sermon. <laughs> it's something about exercising, but environment is key. And it was at that time, um, a corner at a Panera Bread <laughs> where I could just write and um, you know, be free of distraction. So that was sort of my process. Well, one of the key takeaways it seemed to me from the book is that both substance and form matter, mm -hmm. not only with regard to a sermon or if you wanted to extrapolate it broader, any presentation that you put together, but also, you know, you talk about appearance, etiquette, decorum, and so forth. Um, without giving too much away, because we want the listeners to purchase the book, right? Yeah. Um, could you share a little bit about your thinking on how, how you maybe balance those or how you make sure that you give adequate focus to, to both? Yeah, because it's such hard conversation, especially, you know, there is a section in the book about, uh, let's talk about the elephant in the room, uh, honorariums. You know, nobody wants to talk about you know, when you get a, an invitation, hmm, should I ask them, you know, is there an honorarium before I drive, you know, 200 plus miles or fly or, you know, so, you know, there is, you know, converse, extensive conversations about how to approach this conversation or topic with honorariums. But I also think it's important um, to have a theological basis for all of these things. And so, you know, I certainly um, rely on a lot of Paul's teachings in the New Testaments, particularly, um, you know, First Corinthians. Uh, but I also, you know, you know, you know, where even Jesus, <laughs> you know, affirms, you know, in Luke's gospel about the importance of wages and, you know, don't muzzle the ox. And so I think it's important that, you know, because a lot of, you know, sometimes I find lay members in the church who are not used to um, or don't understand what the preaching ministry involves. Oh, you're just doing the Lord's work. You should just do it for free. <laughs> I mean, and I don't think people, still a lot of people in our churches don't have an understanding about the, the professionalism of the preaching ministry and how 
ministers like myself have earned degrees to better ourselves in ministry. And no one questions, you know, a doctor who has to, you know, need time away to prepare for surgery the next day or, um, but we, I, it was important for me that especially some of the lay members of my church understood, you know, all aspects of what goes involved in the preaching um, ministry and particularly for pastors, you know, not only is preaching a part of their, you know, expected, you know, role as a pastor, but, you know, they have to do weddings and funerals and there's etiquette issues involving those things. So I, I want to say clearly to anybody that's getting ready to get married and you have a pastor that, um, or a minister that's gonna speak or preside over your wedding, you need to compensate that minister um, because they're giving up probably a rehearsal Friday night, a Saturday um, wedding ceremony, and then they have to preach on Sunday. And, you know, and I go more into this in the book, you know, it's different if you're a member of the church. I mean, that's your pastor's responsibility. But I mean, if you're inviting a special minister to give up a weekend, I mean, they deserve to be compensated. So, you know, having that balance of understanding, you know, what we're talking about here, it's hard to talk about. It really is because it's like, you don't want to seem as a minister, you know, it's all about the money. But then I think some people forget that ministry is a, a, a profession. It's a divine <laughs> um, profession, but it's also a profession that needs to be uh, compensated and compensated well. And there are so many things that are neglected because you're just doing the Lord's work and you should just be doing it. And that's true. And Paul talks about some of that, which I addressed in my book too. There are times we should not expect an honorarium. There are times that we should be gracious. And, but there are a lot of times that we do deserve it. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And as somebody who's worked, I've worked in churches and now I'm, I'm not, but I am a member and involved. Mm -hmm. there, there's a learning curve on both sides for mm -hmm. you know, ministers coming out of divinity school and learning the etiquette and all of that. But also there's a bigger learning curve, I think, on the church side sometimes where you don't need to put a minister in the place of having to ask, am I going to yeah. get compensated for my weekend of driving and traveling and you know, knowing to get a W-9, knowing to have a check ready? Yeah. Th those are things that you talk about. And it, it seems to me that the book is really practical for, for both you know, lay members of the congregation and also ministers to help them think through all of these dynamics. Yeah, and thanks for mentioning that because... I do try to offer some very practical steps on how to approach honorariums. Um, I, I give a sample thank you letter because we, we forgot about doing thank you. We don't do thank you letters uh, anymore. Um, ways to invite, things to think about when you invite someone to your church. And also the importance of, like you said, a W9, uh, you know, church is really a church's responsibility. And so things need to be looked at how, you know, how much you're compensating and how to avoid, you know, some of those, you know, some of those love offerings, um, especially that we do with the black church, you know, we gotta be careful with some of that stuff for IRS purposes. And I, I talk about that in the book. <laughs> Well, it's good. It's a really practical uh, and, and I think reflect a larger, broader reflection, but also some really nitty gritty practical that you're, you're addressing both aspects. So, uh, well, kind of as, as we're starting to wrap things up, one of the things that stood out is you talk about 
cross-cultural preaching opportunities you've had. And my hope is that that is a trend that more and more people are experiencing, you know, based on your experiences, you know, maybe share a, an idea or two or a concept or two for how both the minister and the church can help one another navigate those and, and hopefully avoid, you know, yeah. kind of these awkward moments <laughs> and make it be positive. Yeah, that is so funny. So I, um, I always, you know, I tell students, particularly when I'm talking about my book, you know, when you go to certain churches, um, the, the goal is to honor what they honor, you know, honor the tradition of the church, the um, DNA of that particular church. And so I often shift um, based on the church that I am in. Um, what I have overwhelmingly discovered being a cross-cultural preacher um, is that if I go into a non-African-American church, um, you know, the pastor, I'm just going to say pretty much, hi, Cliff. Hi, Zach. <laughs> you know, hi, Emily. Hi, Ellen. You know, hi, Mary Alice. You know, it's a first name basis pretty much. And when you are in traditional African-American churches, um, there is emphasis on title, but you know, I want people to understand that it's not about, um, you know, elevating somebody or putting someone on the pedestal. It has historical significance that goes back to the Jim Crow era when, you know, African-Americans were not treated as fair, equal citizens in society. Um, so Monday through Friday, you're in the world and you are you know, not even seen as a full human being. But on Sunday morning, when you went to church, you know, you were somebody. And um, Dr. King talked a lot about somebodyness in his work. So the, the pastor is somebody, the chair of deacons in the Black church is somebody, the usher president. And so titles are important in the Black church so that, because they have significance. So if I go to a Black church, the pastor is going to be, you know, Reverend Dr. Harry White or Reverend Dr. Cynthia Hill or the pastor's wife is the first lady. You know, these are titles of honor. There's mothers of the churches that you respect and honor. And so um, that's a different, you know, the titles are different. The worship styles are different. Of course, African-American churches tend to be more celebratory, lively. Um, not to say that I haven't been in some non-African-American churches that were celebratory, but not as much. Not You don't get a whole lot of um, that, that talk, that response of the amens. <laughs> so, but it's, it's a beautiful thing to be able to worship in and out of your normal context. And I think everybody should, you know, in this, this post pandemic world, we're almost in, you know, the beauty that we've had to basically visit, visit different churches online throughout the past year. I hope that doesn't stop. And I hope people will, continue, um, you know, welcoming the opportunity to visit churches of your outside of your normal context and learn from them and, and celebrate the way they celebrate. An important note to all of our listeners, we at Good Faith Media are always accepting book proposals. Our authors engage with an experienced team of editors, designers, and marketers to produce and sell books on a variety of topics. So if you have a book proposal you'd like to run by us, head over to goodfaithmedia.org slash bookstore for more information. That's goodfaithmedia.org slash bookstore. 
Lynn, I wonder as we're wrapping up our time together, could you read a sentence or two from your book that you think is critical for listeners to hear, either because it represents and kind of encapsulates the book or because you think it's especially important for folks to hear right now? I would have to actually um, maybe say the quote um, on the back of my book that <laughs> that was given by a person who was very instrumental in helping me with this book and um, one of the great preachers of our time whom uh, was named the Dean of Black Preachers and that was the late Reverend Dr. Garner C. Taylor. And um, he passed away like on Easter Sunday and we were scheduled to meet that Wednesday and I was gonna hand him a copy of this book to thank him, but I didn't get a chance that Wednesday. But on the back of my book, um, Dr. Garner C. Taylor says, there is a crying need for a book that addresses etiquette in the pulpit. And this book addresses the latter in a very effective way. Dr. Brinkley brings to the task a diversity of experience and therefore authority. And so I would say there's a cry in need for a book like this, so go check it out. <laughs> That's a good word. Our guest today on Good Faith Reads has been Lynn Brinkley, author of Manners and Money, a manual on preaching etiquette. The book, along with more than 100 other titles, is available in paperback at goodfaithmedia.org bookstore and as an ebook at either Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Lynn, again, we're really grateful for your time. Thank you for being a guest today. Thank you. 